So a few years ago now, I was visiting with one of the professors at the institution formerly known as the Grand Prairie Regional College. And as we were, we were visiting there, uh, another professor came up and just sort of realized that we were talking about some uh, religious kind of stuff, and particularly some of the things of the Apostle Paul. And this other professor uh, stopped by and said, the Apostle Paul was a social conservative who stopped the progress of society. And so the other professor said, uh, the one I was talking to, well, no, I don't really think so. He says, yes, he was. Because the Apostle Paul supported that abhorrent institution called slavery. He talks about slaves being obedient to the master. And this is the problem with the church. This is the problem with Christianity. It is a conservative thing. It stops progress. It keeps people down. And it's a bad kind of a, a deal. Slavery is just a, an example of how bad the church is and the Apostle Paul's teaching. And off he toddled. I didn't say anything. So. <laughs> On the other hand, a few years ago, some of us had this incredible privilege of doing an In the Steps of the Apostle Paul uh, tour, and uh, we were in Turkey, and our tour guide, he was a great, a great tour guide, a Muslim fellow, and uh, I think it was in Ephesus, I can't remember exactly which city it was in, but he was talking, you know, we were commenting about it, the amazing buildings and temples and houses and lives, all of these different things, and, and this, this tour guide says, well, do you know why uh, we stopped building these buildings here in Turkey, and I can't remember which century it was, you know, it was a couple of years after, after Paul's, a couple of hundred years after Paul's time. And so, of course, I had no clue, so I'm standing there like a poor lax donkey or something. I, I don't know. He said, it's because of Christianity. Because, you see, Christianity brought an end to slavery. And when slavery ended in this region, nobody could afford to build these great big buildings anymore. They had to pay people. And so these, um, these amazing buildings stopped being built. Hmm. Now look at this passage. Let's put it on the screen here. I hope. This is the Apostle Paul. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is born, both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism in him, which he master and slave. So which story is right? The college professor that Paul was a social conservative stopping the pro good progress of society? Or the tour guide who says, well, no, we couldn't build these great buildings anymore because slavery came to an end because of the influence of Christianity? And how does Paul write this letter? Write these words. What, which way is he going? What's the result that's going to happen? Now, today, you've got to come to Bible college. Not just Bible college, you've got to come to like third year of Bible college, okay? We're going to get into the heavy stuff. We're going to talk about some technical stuff. Uh, but, but before we get into that, that sort of thing, 
Um, I, I want to just give you an anchor or a foundation or the thing to remember that you get out of this. And if you get bored with the technical stuff, which you better not. But if you do, this is what you just have to remember, okay? It's this, this statement. Live today what tomorrow will be. Okay, that's where we're going with this whole thing. Live today as a person, as a community. Live today what tomorrow will be. You know, one of our ethos statements, uh, you know, if you go into our website, we've got all that fancy stuff, our mission and our ethos statements and so on. And it says that we are an eschatological community. We put that in there so people say, huh? Eschatology just means kind of like the end, the study of the end, right? And what we're saying is that we, in the Grand Prairie Church of Christ, we understand that what the Bible says to do is that we're to live today exactly as it is when the prayer is fulfilled, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? So God is bringing about this new creation. He's going to bring about redemption of all the evil. But what's going to happen is we're supposed to live today how it's going to be when Jesus returns, okay? So that's what we keep in mind through this whole thing. Live today what tomorrow will be. All right. Now, this passage then, we've sort of done the, you know, husbands and wives, and David did a great job with the fathers and parents and children, had that great statement that our authority needs to be grounded in grace. Wasn't that a great statement? I've been thinking about that all, all week. And now it's kind of this last part of the household, which is the commerce of the household has to do with slaves. Now, at first you might read that and think, well, boy, you know, this is, this is a pretty irrelevant topic. No, actually, this passage is a not-so-irrelevant passage. It's a difficult passage, but it's not so irrelevant. First of all, probably because, depending on the organization you read, there's, there's like 40 million people in slavery today, in some form of slavery. We've got a lot of work to do as followers of Christ. So it, it's not irrelevant in, in, just because of that in, in the literal slaves and masters and what do we do about that and how do we change that? So, and then it's not irrelevant because most of us, as we go through this passage, we've all heard sermons, I'm sure, we've been kicking around for a few years, uh, applying this passage about slaves and masters to employers and employees, right? To your workplace and, and how do we work that in your workplace? And, and that, that's part of it too. And so we can talk a little bit about that. But I really like what, what Lynn Kohick said. As you know, she's one of the lectures I'm listening to as we go through Ephesians. And she says, listen, to equate this passage to just bosses and employees is actually to diminish the absolute power of the passage. Because what this passage and how it should be applied and understood is much bigger than how you are as a boss or a business owner or how you are as an employee. It's certainly going to have some of that, but it's bigger than that. What Kohik says, that what he's talking actually about, and the best way to apply this passage, has everything to do with power and justice. Power and justice. Now, you don't need to turn on the news and listen very long to understand that so much of our conversation, you know, whether it's Johnny Depp or, or, or society or whatever, that it, a lot of it has to do with power and justice, right? And so uh, social justice and what is right and all those things. So Koei is saying, listen, we need, to, we need to look at this passage through that kind of a lens. It's big stuff. It's about the boss and, you know, and you as an employee. And it's about what happened back then. But it's, it's this much bigger thing. Because what the Apostle Paul is writing about here, and slavery is just an example, is nothing less than transforming society by sowing seeds. 
He's actually talking about how do we as Christians go about transforming society? How do we go about being the people and being the community that lives out what the Turkish tour guide says? Oh yeah, well, slavery ended because of the influence of Christianity. How do we be that people? How do we be that community? That is what he is actually talking about. He's talking and writing about how it is that we as Christians bring heaven to earth. How it is that we become the means and the instruments and the people that answers that prayer. Ah, Father... Was in heaven, her be the name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's talking about how do we do that? How do we bring heaven? How do we bring the rule of God to earth? Because you see, what we're in the business of doing as Christians is not just sitting around waiting for Jesus to come back. What we are to be as Christians and as a church is the people who are bringing about already the new creation that God is aiming towards, the new creation, okay? So that's what it's talking about. He's saying we're going to do that. We're going to change it. We're going to bring about the new creation by transforming society, by sowing seeds. Now, before we get into the specifics, we've got to do some technical work. Please. Really, please. Stick with me, okay? Because I know it might seem a little academic, but I'm going to talk about how do you read the Bible? You know, so much of we hear in society, well, that's just your interpretation of that sort of thing. And no, no, no. There are rules, okay? So, so we're going to get a little bit technical, okay? Now, but please hang with me and then we'll, we'll, we'll apply this. All right, so... Now, I don't know about you, but some, there are several books in my life. Obviously, the Bible is hopefully number one. But there are several books in my life that, that really shape how I run my life, how I understand the Bible and, how, and all these things. There's like three or four books that have just had this profound effect on my life and really changed the trajectory many times. And one of the books that, that's done that for me, um, which we sort of studied a little bit together when we're going through this whole deal about should women be elders and that sort of thing, is this book here, Slaves, Women, and Homosexuals. Exploring the hermeneutics of cultural analysis. Man, you know, if you're ever just calm and you want to wake yourself up, this is the book to guess and just get it. So hermeneutics, okay, that's a fancy word. It just means how do we interpret the Bible? You see, there are different approaches to interpreting the Bible, right? And that's what this is, that's what this is, is all about. It's a, it's a great book. It's had a profound difference in my life. Now, if you, don't want to, if you don't want to buy the book, if you're not a reader, there's YouTube. And on YouTube, this, this Dr. Ted Mangum, he's a graduate of Dallas or whatever. Anyhow, he, if you go onto YouTube and you put in that guy's name, Todd Mangum, and you put in uh, you know, this title, Slavery and Homosexuals, there's a two-hour YouTube. But let me tell you a trick. Number one is the second hour is just his opinion of the book, so who cares? Definitely the second hour. And number two, you can do like me. Listen to that sucker at double speed like I do all that stuff. And so within half an hour, you can be a college graduate in hermeneutics. <laughs> All right, so a lot of what I'm going to now, what I'm going to draw on is this thing. So I'm going to get a little bit technical here, but let's just, let's just set the scene, okay, for how we're going to do this. You've got to understand that when the Apostle Paul wrote to these Ephesians, they could no more imagine life without slaves than we can imagine life without electricity. I mean, it was just the way things were done. It was just what everybody expected. It was just society would crumble and would collapse. They, they couldn't have functioned 
if they didn't have slaves. You know, then there was, there was millions of slaves. Now, you will have heard that um, slavery... Sorry, camera guys, I'm thirsty. It's really hot in here. Eh? You should try it under the lights, I'll tell you that. You will have heard that slavery in the New Testament days is not the same as what we think of as slavery, you know, with, with uh, the black slaves, horrific stuff that was occurring around the world, but we often think about the southern United States and so on, but it was much more global than that. And we'll often hear people say, well, no, no, the, the slavery that, that Paul's talking about here is very, very different than that, because, you know, those slaves could be educated, and those slaves could be doctors, and, and those slaves could earn their freedom and, and, and carry out these professions. And, and you know what? There's some truth to that. But that wasn't true for women slaves, who were always sexually available to their masters and who uh, couldn't learn the trade craft that could allow them to be free and set up their own business. If you're a guy slave, you could learn to be a scribe or whatever and you could earn your freedom and, and, uh, and go out and set up shop. You'd still be connected with the family, but you could set up shop and take care of the clients or you could be Luke the physician against them. But not if, not if you're a woman and not if you were the majority of slaves. Don't make any mistake when you read this. Don't make it the slavery all through history, right through today, is a terrible, horrific experience and life and system. Aristotle, you know Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, he said this: a slave is a living tool, just as a tool is an inanimate slave. A slave is just like a hammer. She's just like a chisel. She's just like a dishwasher, whatever the case may be. They just, they just happen to be living, but they're just a tool. Don't worry about them. There was a Roman, I couldn't, a Roman writer, I couldn't track down exactly who it was. He said this, listen, whatever a master does to a slave, undeservedly, that is, whether the slave deserves punishment or not, undeservedly, or in anger, if you just kind of tick off because you have a bad day, Willingly, that is, I'm determined to do it, or unwillingly, well, I have to discipline you, you know, it's going to hurt you more than it hurts me. In forgetfulness, you just forgot to feed them. After careful thought, knowingly or unknowingly, is this judgment, justice, and law. You see what he's saying? Saying whatever feel, the master feels like doing, whatever mood the master was in, whatever, you know, whether he's thoughtful and thinking or not thinking or whatever the case may be, that's, that's justice and law. It's a terrible thing to have a master forget about you. In England, if you talked in class, I mean, there's all kinds of different punishments from caning to when I was growing up, caning to, but one of the favorite things in our school was they'd take a piece of chalk and they'd stand you against the wall and then they'd balance the piece of chalk, you know, between your nose and the wall, like a little triangle like that there. And then if you moved and that chalk fell, then you'd get caned. So I, of course, you know, was blabbing off some opinion in class one day, I remember. It was just before lunch, so Jones against the wall, against the wall, but things. Dude forgot I was standing there. So, like, we go into lunch hour, and I'm there for, like, 15 minutes. Do-ba-do-ba-do. Finally, the guy comes back, he remembers. So it's a bad thing if your master forgets you, Okay. This was a horrific experience. And Colic is right. It has to do with power and justice and how do we respond and how do we enact this and how do we change it when it's going wrong. 
Now, with that kind of, that kind of a deal where, where a master could just rape a woman slave, take away children, have, have a slave killed for, for just because he's in a bad mood, how could Paul write anything, anything approaching what sounds like approval of that situation? How in the world could that happen? Well, now we've got to get into our little technical stuff. What we've got to understand is what Webb calls redemptive movement. Okay? Redemption means to buy back, to take something that's lost, something that's bad, and to make it good again. Okay? So you've got this whole thing. This is redemptive movement, right? Redemptive movement. I don't know why I bother writing. You can never read it anyway, but I will anyhow. All right, now, so now, now we're going to get into how to read the Bible. Now we're going to talk about how do we even have conversations about things like role of women, sexuality, uh, you know, slaves and masters, all that kind of stuff. That's what we're going to talk about right now, okay? okay? It's hermeneutics. Now you're going to get smart, okay? Here we go. All right. So when you look at the Bible, it kind of starts off, we, we, we might want to say, with original culture. Okay? So the Bible was written to a particular people in a particular time, right? Over several thousand years. You know, you've got to go way back in there to Abraham and all this sort of thing. And so there's this original culture. Maybe it was, uh, maybe it was uh, near Middle East or maybe it was the Greco-Roman culture which the New Testament is, okay? So you've got this culture and you've got things going on that Aristotle and these Romans and so on are talking about, okay? Now, what happens then is along comes the Bible, okay? And the Bible puts God's ethic into the existing culture, Okay? Because if God didn't speak to us in the culture that we understand, we wouldn't have a clue what he was talking about, right? So God, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, through all, he takes his ethics, he says what is good and what is right and what is salvation and everything about Jesus, and he's going to put it and express it in, into the culture that he's writing to, right? Whether it's the Egyptian culture or the Roman culture, whatever the case may be. The Bible comes in and it, and it does that. Now, in here... He plants what Webb calls seed ideas. Okay? Now, in this Bible ethic, the scriptures and the ethic can go two different directions. Some of the Bible things are, okay, we're going to be more restrictive. Okay? So in, the, in, in Paul's time, there were some philosophers and some thinkers that said, you know what, the body isn't important. It doesn't matter what you do with your body. What's important is your soul. What's important is your eternal soul and so on and so You can do whatever you like. You can do whatever you like sexually. You can do whatever you like you know, in, in debauchery. It doesn't make any difference because what matters is what's inside you. You can do whatever you want with, with your society. That's what the culture is saying. And so when we read the Bible, we hear that God saying, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. You can't just do anything that you want with, the, with your body. Your body is important. Your body is a creation of God. Your body is part of who you really are. And so there's a lot of the stuff in the Bible you read that is restrictive, right? 
Start off that way. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. That's a restrictive. Other, other seed ideas, other passages, they are um, they're either less restrictive, okay? Less restrictive, or give more freedom, okay? And so we see that in, in many, of the, many of the scriptures. They're, they give more freedom, they're more permissive, Okay? So what's going to happen is, here's the culture, God's going to speak into it, and he's going to say either to the culture, whoa, 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 that's going to lead to your destruction, or he's going to say, you know what, guys, you need to ease up on this. You need to think a little bit differently about women and about children and about slaves. Those are the particular things that we have right here, right? Okay, now, and he does that with little seed ideas like this passage, and I'll show you how it's going to work out. Now, what happens then, as we go along here, then comes our culture, right? Here we are in 21st century, glorious Grand Prairie, okay? Well, then I've got to fill... Aaron, zoom in, man, or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> okay, all right. Our culture. Now, in our culture, what hopefully happens is that it reflects the good Bible ethic. Okay? So we move along a little bit, and actually, it gets better than the Bible, than Bible times. Right? So as, as the Bible ethic goes into society, you know, it starts off, everyone's got slaves, you know, women can't do anything, they're in the homes, and kids just, you know, the dad can say, no, I don't like this kid, kill him. Now it's better than that, okay? So we're going along, we're a couple, you know, a couple of thousand years into this New Testament stuff, and our society, as, as the, the things of God have been creeping in here, it's better and things are better than they were back then. So some of the times, the stuff that Paul sounds like, it's like, you got to be kidding me. That sounds like slavery is okay a little bit. We all know that slavery is tough. Okay, so it gets a little bit better. But here's the thing, and here's what we need to learn. We're not done yet. Because what happens next, as God continues to do this, and as God's ethic, and as the Holy Spirit moves us, then we're going to get to the ultimate. Okay. We're going to get to the ultimate. This is going to be heaven on earth. This is going to be the new creation. This is going to be how things should be. As we take the spirit, that is the, you know, not the Holy Spirit, but the spirit of the idea, the spirit of the day. As we take the spirit and the movement of scripture, we become more new creation. Okay, so this is, this is this hermeneutic, okay? That's how we understand it, what's going on. There's a culture, God speaks into that culture, moves it along a little bit. Our culture, as we live these things out, things are getting a little bit better, but we're continuing to, to live out the scripture. We've got this direction in which we're going, okay? So, he does this by planting seed ideas, like, hey, masters, don't threaten your servants. Why doesn't he just say, okay, that's it, boom, job done, women are equal to men, 
Let those wives, you know, that are equal to you, submit. Husbands, you forget about this power thing. You lift up your wife. You know, understand the standing under all that kind of stuff. Kids, they are important. You can't just kill them. You can't just get rid of them. Why, why didn't you just say that? Because society can't move that fast. It's a little bit tough to accept sometimes, isn't it? But I remember listening to, to Tom Rice here a few months ago and in his lecture, and he said, listen, people do better under a dictatorship than they do under anarchy. Human beings survive better under a dictatorship than they do under anarchy. And we see that in modern times, don't we? Because when we have these failed states, you know, Somalia or whatever these thing is, and anarchy sets about, and might is right, and all of these different things, people clamor for even a dictator to come and take charge of the situation. So if God comes along and he sees all this, all that's evil in culture and he just, you know, whips the rug from under their feet, all of a sudden there's no more slavery. All of a sudden slaves are dying, they're starving, commerce ceases. I mean, society would just absolutely collapse and there would be anarchy. And we can't survive under anarchy. So what God has to do is that by the power of the Spirit and the willingness of his people, he has to move it along at a speed that people can still survive. Now, how did this work with slavery? Well, here we had the culture, the original culture, and it was terrible. Okay, we just described it. You're just a tool. Uh, Cato, uh, he, he said, you know what? If you feed a sick slave... That's irresponsible because that's just a misuse of resources. You just let them die. When you take over a farm, you go in and you just weed out the slaves that aren't very strong, that are a little bit old, and you just get rid of them. Just dump them. They'll die, but you've got to run the farm, man. Okay, that was the culture that they were in. And now we come in then, so Paul comes in, and he's going to give a new ethic. He's going to say, Fewer abuses, better conditions. It's true for the Old Testament too, by the way. They still had slaves, but they had to let them go, and they had to be treated right, and they had to give them a day off, and all of those sort of things. So it comes in, and it improves the situation. He's taking a step forward. You can't just kill a slave. You can't just rape a female slave. You can't just rip children away from their parents. You can't do that. You can't do that. I know society says you can but you can't do that. Well, then we get into our modern day, and slavery is abolished. And we say, hey, this is horrific. And we can look back at Paul and say, man, that's a little weak, isn't it, Paul? What are you talking about slaves and masters? You should just tell the masters to let them go. Because that's what we see now, but it's the working out of this according to our Turkish, Turkish um, tour guide. And so working conditions are better in today's society. Relationships between those in authority and those not are governed by outside rules. You can, you can grieve uh, a situation that doesn't go right and all these sort of things. But we're not done yet, are we? We're not done yet in the relationship between those with power and those that don't have power. You see, what is going to come is the ultimate. Where there's complete cooperation. There's complete respect. 
when all are on the same page, going in the same direction, fulfilling a meaningful purpose. When things are a bit more equal, not necessarily the same, but surely, depending on the website you do, and you know, you, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a free enterprise guy, whatever, but man, you know, when CEOs are earning like a thousand times the salary of a frontline work, it's like, ah, uh, can we back this off a little bit? You know, so, so we, we've got a ways to go. And, and Paul is, is telling us, look, in this whole thing here of this redemptive movement, we've got to take things the way they were. We've got to apply the Bible ethic. We've got to say, yeah, things are getting better, but it will never be best until we, the church, are the instruments of God in bringing about the new creation, which will, be, bit by bit, is coming about, but will be finally achieved when Jesus comes back. Does that make sense to you? So that's, that's kind of this hermeneutic of how we're doing. What we're looking at is, okay, so God's going to say these words, but he's going to say it to a particular culture in a particular time. So what is the driving force? What's the movement of Scripture here? Is God, is God making, putting seeds down that are going to, to, to change things? Or is God saying, hey, whoa, 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 society, you've gone too far, and this just isn't going to work anymore? All right. So let's just you know, get a bit more detailed here. That's kind of what I want to say. But let's just get a bit more detailed on, on this whole thing of how it works out and bringing about the new creation. So notice what Paul's going to do. So here's the slaves. They have no rights. They can be killed at any moment. They're just a tool to be used. It happens to be able to speak. Paul addresses the slaves first. Which, as we saw with the whole thing with women where I talked a couple of weeks ago, that in itself is assigning dignity to a slave. Because you wouldn't talk to a hammer, you wouldn't talk to a saw, you wouldn't talk to a dishwasher. But Paul does. And so right off the top, he says, no, 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 you are not just an animate tool. You are a human being. It's a, it's a long way from Aristotle. You are, as a matter of fact, a living witness. A living witness. Not just a living tool, but a living witness. You're going to witness to how God views humankind. You're going to witness to how and point to how God wants a power and lack of power to interact together. You're going to point to that. Well, how are you going to do that? And this is where it can kind of get into our employee-employee kind of a deal a little bit, but it's much bigger than that. Don't forget that. It's much bigger than that. He said, well, first of all, you know, you need to go and, and be with your master and treat them with respect and fear. He doesn't mean fear as in terrified because they're going to beat me because, you know, the master that he's writing to is not going to beat them. The idea here is he says, listen, you need to recognize your situation. You need to recognize the position that you're in. You need to know the parameters that the job is and society is right now. And you need to learn how to function within those parameters. I remember back when I was in high school, I worked for Clean Rice. Leo Klobodance was my boss. And uh, we used to clean rugs. And I can remember going to this lady's house and we're cleaning rugs and, and you take turn a little bit because it's, you know, it's hot work and the steam and all this kind of stuff. And, and so I did my little best and I had a whole house to do and then and then... Leo said, okay, I'll take a turn. So he takes a turn. Well, the lady of the house starts talking to me. And she was a talker. 
And so she talked to me, she talked to me, she talked to me, she talked to me, she talked to me. Meanwhile, the house is getting steam cleaned. And now here I am, you know, this 16-year-old guy talking to the father. And the owner of the company's working away. You know, I'm, I'm blabbing and blabbing. He carried on. Finally, I did a little bit. We get in the truck. And Leo turns to me and says, you need to remember it's the owner of the company that does the talking. And he drives away. Because you see, this is this whole thing about feeling respected. Paul's saying, listen, even if it, you got to, you know, you're the worker. Go back and, and you know, I didn't treat Leo with, with respect there because I just wanted more. Well, this woman talks to me. So recognize your position and, and function well within that position. Then he says, that, look at your attitude. Look at your attitude. You know, uh, Plutarch tells this story. He's, he's the historian that was, maybe I'm, I'm getting too long. Forget his story. It's a good story. I'll tell me later. But he says, look, what I want you to do is I want you to have this good attitude. I want you to work like the boss is there all the time because your boss is there all the time because actually I'm your master, says God. And I'm always present. And I want you to work. I want you to have this. I'm going to give you this dignity of choice. I'm going to ask you to choose to work hard for the sake of the Lord even if you don't like what's being asked of you. Even if you don't like being asked of you because God sees you and God will reward you. And this is what, this is what releases the tension between what we're asked to do and some oppressive master that's telling us to do it. If I'm doing something because the master tells me to do it and I really don't want to do it and I can resent it and I can do a lousy job and I can do all kinds of passive aggressive things and I can take twice as long to get paid twice as much and all these different things. But if, it's, if whatever I'm doing is to give glory to God, then I'm going to have this attitude. He says, listen, you have this opportunity as somebody that is without power to do maybe some things maybe even that you don't like for the sake of the Lord to give him glory because God will reward you. And then he plants this seed. There's no hatred and no rebellion against your master. Instead, there's respect and honesty. There's living with the bigger picture. Now, Paul does say, hey, by the way, if you can get free, go ahead and get your, get your freedom. But in the meantime, have this right attitude within you that you are working for the Lord and if you can break this tension between those in power and those without power, if you can break that tension a little bit, then you move things forward just a little bit. But of course, the, the big burden goes on to the masters. Because what he says to the masters is, well, you know, the slaves, they are living witnesses, but you master, you person with authority, you person with power, let me tell you who you are. You are a living slave. Because the truth is, you have a master. And he's the same master as the slave. You have a master in heaven, and as far as he is concerned, the true master of all of the universe, you and your slave are equal. There's no favoritism. You don't get to play by different rules, because in society you've been given authority and power. You get the same rules with the same expectations. As a matter of fact, you've got a bit more responsibility because you're the one that has power. This is the seed idea. These are not inanimate tools. 
These are not people that no matter what you do, that, that that is justice and that is right. These are human beings created in the image of God who God sees as your equal. So you better cheat them that way because we're going to move things towards new creation when all things are right and good. And so you can't threaten them. You know how long slavery lasts if there's no threatening? If you can't punish, you can't kill, you can't whip, you can't separate, you can't sell. It doesn't last very long, relatively speaking, <laughs> which is always the problem. What's interesting in this whole thing about masters are not allowed to threaten, they're not allowed to coerce, they're not allowed to do that. It's interesting because he, he plays this out. So you know the book of Philemon. How many of you know the book of Philemon in New Testament? Okay. Book of Philemon, very, very short little book. And what happened was this, this dude, his slave ran away, got in contact with Paul, helped Paul out quite a bit. Paul sends the slave back to Philemon and he sends this letter with him. And in that letter, it's very short, it's just one chapter. In that letter, Paul says, listen, I'm an apostle, you owe me your salvation, and I could command you, I could force you to forgive Philemon and set him free. I could make you do that. But I'm not going to. I'm going to leave it up to your conscience to do what's right. You see, because this whole thing is that, is he saying to masters, you don't force, you don't coerce, you don't use power to leverage people, you don't do that sort of thing. You have a different motivation, the motivation of grace, the motivation of love, the motivation of service. Because that's how the church undermines terrible situations in society. And so the church began to live this out. And weird things would happen in the first century. Like they'd come together at the house church, you know, I mean, sometimes they'd rent an amphitheater like this, you know, and there'd be a couple of hundred people there. And this weird thing would happen. A slave would be an elder. A, a slave who's a house slave, a, a woman that does the dishes would, would, would be a pastor. And the masters would be under the authority of the slave woman. And they'd have to process this. And so come next time, the guy decides to rape his slave. Ooh, that's my elder. That's my sister in Christ. I need to treat her like my sister and honor her and care for her and respect her and serve her. And as that culture, as these little mini cultures called the church, as they multiplied and as they got bigger, lo and behold, society was changed. And it sounds like Paul is being very, very conservative and holding back progressive thoughts. But he was planting a seed that would allow society not to break apart with slave rebellions where tens of thousands would be crucified and all of these different things. But he's planting this seed which could not help but grow into something that ended slavery. In whatever sphere of influence you live, 
The thing is, is to live the way of God and to live how we will ultimately live. So imagine what heaven and the new creation is going to be. Heaven and the rule of God. Imagine what that new creation is going to be. Imagine how we're going to treat people. Imagine how we're going to treat the earth. Imagine how we're going to treat those in authority over us. Imagine how we're going to treat those and those under us. Imagine how we're going to treat our spouses and our children. And all of these things. Imagine how that's going to be when Jesus is sitting right beside you. And live that way now. Because you see, God's ideal is that when people walk into this community of faith, they walk into the new creation. They walk into the way things are going to be. They walk into a community, into society that functions as it did before the fall, way back in Genesis, when all things were good and right, and we had good work to do. And we were equal with each other. And God walked with us in the cool of the day. That's the life we live. And to the degree that we are able to live it, to that degree, we allow these seeds to germinate and take root and grow and change society. And we bring about the ultimate new creation, which will be fulfilled when Jesus returns. The hermeneutic of cultural analysis. You are now third year graduates. You can pick up your diplomas on the way out of the door. Let's pray. Almighty God, there's, there's so much of scripture which, which is puzzling. And... Um, <laughs> And this whole stuff on, on, on power and equality and uh, societal change and justice, and it's, it's something that uh, we, we give name to in these days, but it's something that we've struggled with as human beings since the fall. And Lord, for some of us, it can be so frustrating because... We can see the future and we can see what you're doing and we can look at this trajectory of grace and why can't things be like that? And it seems so slow sometimes, and it is. But instead of causing us to throw up our hands in despair, let us just instead throw our shoulders to the wheel. And let us be that new community, God. Let it be in this church That new creation is what people experience. That the seeds you plant in your word come to fruition in all of its power and all of its glory so that you may receive the worship of all people. We pray through Christ. Amen.